We'll go to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and verse 2. And I want to talk this morning on overcoming besetting sin. Overcoming besetting sin. I believe this message today will speak to all of our hearts. And if we'll be honest, it's something that we need to be reminded of from time to time that we have sin that we have to deal with as believers. That just because you put your faith in Jesus doesn't mean you're going to live perfect on your journey to heaven. That there's going to be those besetting sins that you have to learn how to deal with. And I know that Jesus forgives, Jesus pardons sin, past, present, future. The Holy Spirit in us helps us to live right. But there's also things that we can do to help find deliverance from that besetting sin. So Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 and verse 2. It reads like this. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray today that you would speak to us through your word. And I know, God, that your word is powerful, it's life-changing, and that your word will never turn, return void. So I pray today, God, that your word would have free course and free reign in this place, and that it would capture our hearts and change our lives. I ask today, God, for the anointing to say those things that you would have me to say. I pray that you'd put your thoughts within my mind, your words upon my lips, that I could speak no more, no less than what needs to be said today. Open the hearts of the people to receive. And God, as we leave today, may we live different than the way we've come. And Father, we will bless you and honor you for all that you do. For it's in Christ's name we pray. And everyone said, you can be seated this morning. Overcoming, besetting sin. Four ministers went away for a retreat. And as they sat around the fire talking, one pastor said, Let's all share our besetting sins. Let's tell what it is that keeps tripping us up. And so he decided to go first. He said, my besetting sin is that every so often I slip away from the office to the racetrack and bet on the horses. The second pastor volunteered. He said, my besetting sin is that I keep a bottle of wine down in my basement. When I get really frustrated with my deacons, I sneak down there and have a nip of wine. The third pastor gulped and said, My besetting sin is that I keep a punching bag at home. When I get mad at somebody in the church, I go home and think about that person as I hit the punching bag. And finally, they all turned to the fourth pastor and they asked him, What's your besetting sin? And hesitantly, he replied, My besetting sin is gossip and I can't wait to get home. This morning, the focus of our message is our besetting sins and how to overcome them. I want us to focus really on one phrase out of these two verses. You find it in verse 1 and it says this, The sin which does so easily beset us. The author here is encouraging his readers to get rid of besetting sin. And before we get into it and go any further, he has this idea that we're running a race. And that's the thing, when it comes to running the race, you have to understand that this is not a sprint, it's not a 50-yard dash, but it is a marathon That's why the Bible says that he that endures to the end shall be saved. In other words, it's not how well you start, it's how well you're going to finish. It's about enduring, it's about falling and getting back up and keep going on. And he says that we've got these great witnesses that have surrounded us and 
It's a picture of them being in the stadium cheering us on, letting us know that, hey, we've run this race and you can also run this race and be successful. And then he says you need to lay aside every weight. The things that weigh you down, the things that are hindrances, the things that are distractions, the things that keep you from running as well as you ought to run. He says you need to lay aside every weight. And here's the thing about weights. They don't have to be necessarily wrong, but it's things that become a distraction. The, the worries of this world and the, our finances and things of that nature, recreational activity, can become weights if they take our eyes off of Jesus. But along with laying aside every weight, he says you need to lay aside the sin that so easily besets you. This refers to that sin that clings to us, entangles us, and trips us up as we run this race. The idea in this verse is that particular sin or maybe two sins that keep tripping you up over and over again. That thing that you think you've got whipped and all of a sudden you find yourself in it again. I would say to us today that it is in our nature to be easily entangled in sin. And that's whether you're lost or saved. It is within our nature, even though we've been born again and become a partaker of the divine nature, there's still within us this desire of the flesh that wants to do what the flesh wants to do. It's easy for us to get entangled and get entrapped and get ensnared to sin. And here's the thing, there's certain sins which more easily entangle each of us than others. You see, each of us in our own life have certain propensities for specific kinds of sins. It can be because we have in the past cultivated habits and of sin which now plague us even in our salvation. Here's the thing. There's going to be some people who live their Christian life and are going to struggle with addiction from the time they're saved until the time they get to heaven. It's a work of sanctification. Now, let me just say this. There is no perfection for us in this fleshly body this side of heaven. There's nobody here today that can say, I've never done wrong since you've given your life to Jesus. It's a daily thing where he works in us. Amen? It can also be because in our spiritual weakness, even after becoming Christians, maybe you're, you're not being discipled as you need to be. Maybe you're not following Jesus as you need to follow him. And so you, you've continued to further deepen and develop those habits in your life that now easily entangle you. I will say to us today that every Christian will have certain sins that easily capture them. We could list them. It could be lust. It could be anger, jealousy, lying, gossip, and addiction, bitterness, or any number of things. The fact is, all of us have a besetting sin. All of us have a habitual sin. And if you raise your hand and they say, Pastor, that's not me, I can probably tell you what your sin is. It's pride. Because pride will blind you to seeing your real condition. Pride will blind you to seeing those areas of your life that aren't up to par. And can I tell you what God does with the proud? He resists them. But He gives grace to the humble. God will give grace to those who say, God, I don't have it all together. But those who think they've got it all together, those who walk around with their coats buttoned up nice and their shoulders stuck back like they've got it all together, the Pharisees, God rejects those people. In fact, the Bible says, of the seven things that God hates, He hates a proud look. We all have that sin that keeps tripping us up. Here's what I mean. That thing that you keep confessing to God, that thing you keep trying to get rid of, but it keeps coming back over and over and over again. You, you, you think you finally got it whipped and all of a sudden it shows up. How many of I'm talking about today? Listen, we, we have it. 
It's that one thing that we constantly struggle with. It could be our mouth that gets us into trouble and we constantly over and over struggle. It could be our temper. It could be lust. Any number of things. But it's that one thing that you just can't quite seem to shake in your life. The reality is there are some sins that don't tempt you at all. But there's one sin, maybe two sins, that just keeps coming back and you keep having to deal with. You keep having to fight it. You see, the, the, the reality is I, I don't have to worry about alcohol. I don't have to worry about uh, things of that nature. But there are certain things in my life that if I don't guard myself, I don't stay on my toes, I can easily fall into it. And here's the thing. The devil, he's a good study. He knows your weaknesses. And that's why he'll try to get you in certain situations and in certain places and around certain people because he knows if he can get you there, you're going to fall. But today, we're going to talk about how to lay that sin aside. He says you're to lay aside that besetting sin. You're to put it away from you. Let me just say this. This isn't the first time or the only time in Scripture that the Bible tells us to put away sin. Listen to 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Who, who does it say does the cleansing there? It says let us cleanse ourselves. We have a part to play. Romans 6, 12, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey the lust thereof. 1 Peter 2, 1, Lay aside all malice and guile and hypocrisy and envies and all evil speaking. 1 Peter 2, 11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. Let me just remind you, we're not here in this earth to stay. We're, we're pilgrims passing through. And he says, as we're passing through, you need to abstain from fleshly lust that wage war against the soul. And you might be thinking today, Pastor, why would you preach a message on overcoming besetting sin? Because we're about to step into a new year. And I don't want you dragging around the things you've been dragging around in 2018 to drag them with you into 2019. I want this to be a better year for you and for me. Amen? And so we need to learn how to deal with overbecoming besetting sin. And so here's the, the question. How do we do that from a practical standpoint? How do we lay aside this besetting sin? And let me just say this. I know it's the Holy Spirit inside of us that gives us help. I know the Holy Spirit convicts and He works and empowers. I, I, I know it's through faith in Jesus and the power of God to help us deal with besetting sin. We give all the credit to the Holy Spirit and the Godhead. Because without Him we can do nothing is what Jesus said. But there are some things practically that we can do to lay aside besetting sin. Some things we can do to help experience victory in our lives. So today I want to give you six principles that will help you deal with the sin that so easily entangles you. Number one, you have to identify and admit you have a besetting sin. You've got to start there. You have to identify and admit that you have a besetting sin. Here's the thing. If we fail to admit and identify we have a besetting sin, we'll never overcome it. Let me say it like I've heard it said this way. You want to write something down, write this down. You can't conquer what you're not willing to confront. You can't conquer what you're not willing to confront. As long as you try to brush it aside, as long as you try to keep it in the corner somewhere, as long as you want to try to put it under the rug and say, hey, nobody else knows about this, if you're not willing to confront it, you can't conquer it. And here's the thing, so many times we think, hey, I don't have a besetting sin. As I've already said, if you've come in here today and say, hey, I don't have something that trips me up, I don't have an issue with anything in my life, uh, you're probably struggling with pride and you're blinded to your real need of grace and mercy. 
But here's the thing. If you say you don't have a problem, you're going to keep struggling with that problem the rest of your life. But let me also say this. If you can't admit that you have a problem with sin, uh, again, your sin's probably pride. And that's one of the hardest things to deal with. In fact, what, what, what's the middle letter of sin? S-I-N. It's all about I. In fact, I'd, I'd go so far to say that most sin problem is the pride problem. It's all about I. Nobody here today is perfect. All of us have something that tempts us and draws us away from God. We all have something that causes us to fall from time to time. Everyone here. It changes over our living Things that we struggle with as a teenager, we don't struggle with as we get older. But the temptation's still there. Here's the thing, most people when they're young, they have to struggle with sex. But when you get older into more middle age, you start struggling with being successful. And as you get older in life, if you aren't careful, you'll start struggling with security. The temptation just changes, but it never goes away. And so we have something that constantly comes against us, something that constantly plagues us. And here's the thing, some of our struggles, some of our struggles would see, and it's more obvious than others, but the fact is we all struggle with something. Let, let me just say it this way to illustrate it. You may not struggle with lust, but your heart's full of greed. You may not struggle with drunkenness, but you're jealous of other people. Listen, both of them sin. You may not struggle with addiction, but you gossip about others. You may not struggle with anger, but you're not always honest in dealing with other people. The reality is, if you'll take good inventory of your life, you'll discover that you have a besetting sin. You have something that always seems to get the best of you from time to time. And the first step to overcoming is you've got to identify what it is and you've got to admit to yourself and to God, hey God, this is my problem. God, this is my issue. And when you, in fact, in recovery for alcoholics and people with addicts, the first thing they have to do is to admit they have a problem. And yet so many times we come in here, well, I don't have a problem, but the reality is, if we were to take your life and everything you thought, everything you said, everything you did, and put it on these screens for the entire congregation to watch, you'd want to sleep out of here. Amen? Because we've all got things in our life that we want to keep hidden and don't want nobody else to know about. And that's for the pew and the pulpit. I've told you before, and I'll just inform you again, you don't have a perfect pastor. I'll have to live life just like you do. And I have to fight against temptation and the devil just like you do. You cut me, I bleed just like you do. Listen, I don't, listen, Outside of Peter being the other man that, and Jesus walking on water, I've never walked on water. I still have to walk on the dirt. And I still have to deal with stuff. We all do. And the first step to... But, here, but here's the thing. I know what, what mine is. I know what gets me. So here, here's the... I know what to avoid. I know which people to stay away from. But here's the thing, if you're not willing to admit it and identify it, you'll keep doing it over and over and over again because you don't want to fess up. But here's the second thing. Don't underestimate the seriousness of your sin. The important thing that you need to remember at all times about your besetting sin is that you must 
Never change the view of your sinfulness and of its sinfulness. The reality is there are times when a Christian keeps falling into the same sin and after time he can get used to it that he loses the sense of its seriousness in God's sight. In other words, he, he can keep going down that path for so long that he no longer feels guilty after committing it. He becomes tired of resisting it and fighting it. And so he just begins to excuse it as his own personal weakness. This is the way I'm always going to be. And he never fights anymore. And he starts making excuses rather than dealing with it. Hear me. Sugarcoating your sin is the easiest way to give the devil a grip in your life. Sugarcoating your sin will cause you to be drawn further and further away from God. See, one of the major reasons we don't deal with sin strongly and firmly is because we underestimate its seriousness to God. Let let me say it this way. Our sin steals our joy. Our sin ruins our fellowship with God. Our sin diminishes our fruitfulness. Our sin robs us of peace. Our sin renders our service useless. Our sin hinders our prayers. Our sin brings the discipline of God. Our sin disgraces our testimony. These are just a few of the things that our sin does. Now hear me, I'm not saying that your sin is going to keep you out of heaven, but it will certainly ruin your walk and your intimacy with God. But here's the thing, we can stay in it so long then. We think, hey, this is not such a big deal. We may think, hey, I'm not committing the big ten. My, 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 my sin, it's small, it's little. But can I tell you, when God looks at it, God sees it as sin. We don't think our gossip's all that sinful, but the Bible says it's sin. Amen? Preacher, I'm not telling big lies. I'm just not being totally honest. Is that right or wrong? It's wrong. Big lie, little lie, it's all lying. And And here's the thing. Nobody else may know that you do it, but God knows. To overcome our besetting sin, we've got to understand just how serious sin is. First and foremost, it violates our relationship with God. Here's the thing, God takes sin seriously, and so should we. Listen to Isaiah 59 verse 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid His face from you, and He will not hear. You want you, if, you, if you're here today wondering why God's not moving in your prayer life, the, the psalmist said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, He will not hear me. If I've got unconfessed sin in my life, I can pray, and God does not hear. Some of the best things that we could do is start out with confession, saying, God, this is my life, and this is what I've done. And it'll open up the floodgates of God's mercy and God's grace. And you can see God's blessing. That's not going to mean you're not going to have to deal with consequences because you may very well still have to deal with consequences. But you can be in right fellowship with God. You have to deal with the sin in your life and understand that, hey, this is serious. But here's the third thing. You have to make no provision for sin. Make no provision for sin. Romans 13, 14 says, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. The idea here is that we have to not give into the flesh and its lust. We're not to indulge or give license to the flesh. Paul is saying that we're to avoid anything that could cause us to give in to the lust of the flesh. Here's what Paul is saying. 
Do not plan for sin. Give it no welcome. Offer it no opportunity. Keep the sin off your doorstep and you won't have it in the house. Let me say that again. Keep sin off the doorstep and you won't have it in the house. Amen? You see, we often fall into sin. You ready for it? Because we set ourselves up to fail. We go where we shouldn't go. Hang around with those we shouldn't hang around with. We watch and listen to things that we shouldn't watch and listen to and then wonder why we struggle with sin. Listen, if you're feeding the flesh, it's hard to walk in the Spirit. Amen? But Paul said, if you can walk in the Spirit, you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Well, how do you walk in the Spirit? That means you've got, you've got to be conscious of the Holy Spirit in your life and you've got to put the Word of God in there. You've got to spend time in prayer walking with Him. But if you constantly feed the flesh, you'll never walk in the Spirit. You'll never have the victory that God wants you to have. Listen to this. Anyone who deliberately allows himself to linger in a tempting situation, thinking that he's strong enough to resist it, is making provision for his own fall. If you were to struggle with alcohol, don't leave alcohol in your home. That's just common sense, isn't it? Don't think I'm just going to put it up in the cabinet and, and, and I'll resist the temptation and, and I won't drink it no more. Here's the thing. As soon as something bad happens in your life, the first thing you're going to think about, hey, i still got that bottle up there I can go to. You've made provision for the flesh. If you struggle with lust or, or, or things of that nature, you might have to get rid of cable, get rid of internet because you can't put yourself in situations to be tempted by that. You can't make provision for flesh here's what I want to say I, I, and it just kind of backing up you got to get serious about dealing with the sin in your life Barty Five said you, you, you got to nip it in the bud Amen. you, you, you just got to be serious about it and just nip it in the bud and take care of it oh but pastor what I'm doing it's not so bad well God sees it as sin Jesus died for you to overcome it and every time you do it, you grieve the Holy Spirit of God inside of you. You want me, to, you want me to tell you who the most miserable person is in this world? It's not so much the lost person, it's the Christian that's out of fellowship with God. You'll be miserable. Because you know you're not where you ought to be. You've got to stop making provision for your flesh. You've got, you've got to stop thinking, hey, I can handle this. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Pride always goes before destruction. You can't make provision for the flesh. If you've got to say goodbye to some relationships, you need to say goodbye to them. If you've got to go home and start cleaning out the cupboards of things that's in there that's drawing you and tempting you, then go home and get a big trash bag and start emptying it out and throwing it away. If you can't get rid of cable completely because you got others in the house who want to watch it, then maybe you need to figure out how to put child lock on it and get passwords that only somebody else knows to get into certain things. You have to protect yourself. I believe it was Job that said, I, I, I'll set a watch, I'll set a guard over my eyes that I'll not sin with my eyes. But here's another thing. Number four, you have to meditate on the Word. Psalm 37, 31, the law of his God is in his heart. Oh, look at this. None of his steps shall slide. The law of God is in his heart and his steps 
will not slide. When the heart is controlled by the Word, the steps don't slip. When you're so full of God's Word, you're less likely to trip. Amen? Listen to Psalm 119 verse 9. How can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to your Word? As we constantly put the Word of God into us and fill our mind with the Word, it begins to change our thinking. It begins to transform our life. And that alone becomes the strength and resource inside of us to resist the initial impulses of the flesh. Listen to Psalm 119 verse 11. Thy Word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Do you see it? I put your Word in my life. I hide it in there. I treasure it in there. I store it in there. Why? So that I will not sin against you. Listen, the more Word you have in you, the less you'll be worldly. Let me say that again. I liked it. That was just off the cuff. The more words you have in you, the less worldly you'll be. That means our little devotionals that we have for five minutes in the morning ain't going to cut it. Nothing wrong with devotionals. But if you only get five minutes of word a day, you're malnourished spiritually. And that's for any of us. Myself or anybody here. We've got to feed on this Word. Put it in our hearts. Store it up inside of us and meditate on it. Find your verse that you can quote over and over throughout the day and let it stick with you. Because you'll have something to fight against the enemy. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness three times, He said, it is written. He had the Word to fight with. But here's the thing. You can't fight with something that you don't know how to use. You've got to meditate on the Word. See, as you get into the Word and the Word begins to get into you and it begins to dwell in you richly, you'll find out that it will control you. It will guide you. It will help your decisions. You start to go into some kind of attitude of sin or some act of sin, the Word of God will be a restraint in your life. The Word of God can help you overcome your besetting sin. But here's the fifth thing. You have to immediately repent over your lapses. Here's the thing. All of these things I'm giving you, they're helpful, they're great. But if we aren't careful, we're still going to fall, we're going to have lapses. And when you do, you have to immediately repent of your lapse. Look at, listen to Matthew 26, verse 75. Peter remembered the word of Jesus who had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. There's something admirable about Peter's remorse. We'll ridicule Peter and talk about how he denied Jesus three times, but we should also honor and respect him for his immediate remorse. Immediately he knew what he had done was wrong, and he wept. Let me ask you, when you fall into your besetting sin, does it break your heart to where you weep over it? Or do you keep living your life as though nothing that's happened. Listen, when we fall, we should get back up and we should ask God to forgive us. We should confess it to God. If you're going to overcome besetting sin, if you're going to deal with it, you have to immediately repent over the times that you fall. Because here's the thing. If you think I'm going to wait till later on to repent about it, you won't remember later on. The only way 
way you'll remember is if the Holy Spirit brings it back to your mind. And here's the thing. There's been times in my life where weeks down the road the Holy Spirit had to get a hold of me and say, hey, you need to confess this and deal with it. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we fall, not if you fall, but when you fall, be quick to repent and confess it to God. And here's the thing. Confession isn't just being sorry for your sin. It's not just being sorry for what you've done. Repentance and confession is being so broken and so sorry that God, I've messed up, I've dishonored you, I've disgraced you, but God, I never want to do it again. And also confession means you have to name that sin. Because here's how we most of the time pray when it comes to asking God forgiveness. God, would you forgive me of anything and everything that I've done? And, 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 and that certainly can work. That can certainly be great. But here's the thing. You want to get that sin in your life that has the power over you to be rid of it, you need to name it. And say, God, this is my struggle. This is my sin. I'm confessing it to you and I ask God for your help to never do it again. You need to get it out in the open. You need to hear yourself say it. And sometimes we don't like having to talk about our stuff. Even between us and God. But if you're struggling with, with fornication, uh, lust, lying, God, you need to say, God, this is my sin. I'm confessing it to you. And you need to name it. And say, God, this is when it's happened. And this is what I've done. And God gives forgiveness. And God gives cleansing. You've got to have the attitude that God, I don't want to do this anymore. That's when you start getting real with God. But let me move on to the sixth and final thing. Continually pray for divine help. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul, he gives us the armor of God and he tells us to put on the armor of God. But then he tells us to pray. Ephesians six eighteen, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. He lets us know that we're in a battle, and it's not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of, uh, of darkness. And put on the armor, but He says, once you put on the armor, you need to pray. And here's the thing, if you're struggling with something today, you need to pray that God would give you help to overcome. I believe that prayer is essential in our fight against Satan and temptation. In fact, when Jesus told His disciples how to pray in Matthew 6, He said, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Matthew 26, 41, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The Spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. We know that the Holy Spirit inside of us, it wants to do right, but the flesh is weak. And He starts out saying, watch and pray that you not enter into temptation. I believe a praying Christian will be a victorious Christian. And this goes back to the same concept of putting the Word in our lives. You, you, I'm not trying, listen, I'm not trying to be legalistic. I'm not trying to define a set amount of time you need to pray. But listen, you need to spend more than two minutes a day praying. You need to spend more time in prayer, walking with God, fellowshipping with Him, giving your life to Him. And Paul even says, pray without ceasing. 
live in an attitude of prayer. So when you wake up in the morning, you say, God, I don't know what's going to come today, but would you give me the help of the Holy Spirit to overcome? That's how you want to start your day. And then as you're living your life, and if you, if you listen, if you get frustrated with people out there on the roadway and they make you angry and you want to give them a special sign, then, then you need to pray, God, help me not do that. You got road rage? Pray while you're driving. That God will calm you down. You're dealing with lust? Pray, God, help me to overcome that. And here's the thing, that, 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 that's natural desires that God's given to all of us. But you need to pray, God, help me keep my desires in check. Here's the thing, you can't wait until you're in the mess to start trying to pray. As I said, make no provision for... Don't, don't, don't wait until you're already trapped by the time to think, I think it'd be a good time to pray and try to get out of this. No, you've got to pray beforehand. You've got to be ready. So you just got to constantly pray, God, I, I need your strength. Jesus said, without me, you can't do nothing. And if you're here today thinking, I'm going to conquer this through my willpower, you're going to keep falling over and over again. But if you'll throw yourself at Him and say, God, I can't, but I know you can. God will give you the strength and power that you need. And you just have to keep running to Him. God, help me. God, give me strength. God, give me wisdom to know what to do. God, help me to see the situations around me and not put myself in those situations where I would fall. I, I, I think about Joseph as he's being tempted by Potiphar's wife. She's throwing himself at him. But he got out of there. It was a man of honesty, a man of integrity. He said, I can't sin against my master, but I, most of all, I can't sin against God. If we would live with that kind of attitude, I, I, I can't sin against God. I don't want to sin against God. When we ask for His help, He'd give us wisdom to know what to do. If you're struggling with sin, you've got to pray, and you've got to pray often. The, the old time saints, the put you in the altar and they say you need to pray until you pray through. Maybe that's what we need to do again. We need to find somewhere we can pray and we pray till we pray through. Pray till we break free. I want to close this morning and just give you a few final thoughts about besetting sin. First of all, besetting sins are always a danger. Besetting sins are always a danger. I'm not saying that we can't experience constant victory over them. I believe that by God's grace and God's power we can be victorious. But here's what I am saying. There will never be a time that you and I are so strong spiritually that we don't have to be on guard against them. If you ever get to thinking, I've finally got it licked once and for all, you better watch out. 1 Corinthians 10.12 says, Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. You better beware. They're dangerous. They trip us up. Secondly, besetting sins always hurt others. What we tend to think of our besetting sins as harmless. But here's the thing. We never have the luxury of sinning in private. Our sin will hurt us and it'll hurt other people. Thirdly, we tend to excuse besetting sins, not confess and forsake them. Here's the thing. If we aren't careful, we'll grow accustomed to our besetting sin and we'll forget how serious it is and we'll keep on living in it and we won't fight it no more. 
The fact is we'd all be a lot better off if we'd call our sin what it is, confess it to God, and turn from it. Finally, besetting sins always dishonor God. Always. No matter how you look at it, sin is sin in God's eyes, and all sin dishonors Him. It all dishonors Him. Our sin can bring a reproach upon the name of God. Here's the thing, people's looking at us. And for some people, we're the only Bible they're ever going to see. Let me ask you, what are people reading from your life? What are people reading from your life? What kind of Jesus are you displaying to this world? I believe that as believers, it's possible to walk in victory over besetting sins. God has given us everything we need to live the life that He has called us to live. Do you think that somehow God has saved us and then God's just kind of been removed from us to live and try to figure it out? No. God's given us everything we need to live for Him. Look into, listen to 2 Peter 1.3. His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything you need to be victorious, it's already in you. Everything you need to overcome what you're going through, that sin, it's inside of you. God has equipped you. And I believe that as we make uh, use of the tools and resources that God has made available to us, we will overcome our besetting sins. As I close, I say this today, I want 2019 to be different for us. I don't want you to keep walking down the same path you did in 2018, but I want this to be a better year for you, a better year for me. And it starts with dealing with the things in our life that most often other people don't know about. I'm not saying we come and we air our dirty laundry to everybody in the church. But you know where you stand with God. And you know what you struggle with. And you need to deal with it. I need to deal with the things in my life. Stand with me this morning.